I was well beaten by like the top three uh, runners in that race. And what that t- showed me was that uh, that running is funny. I, I was there about 32, 33 years of age. And I was thinking, the guys that are, have won that, I think the guy that won that was about 40 years of age. And I was trying to understand, how in the name of God is this man able to beat me? He's 40 years of age. How can he beat me? But I understood then that that was ultra run. It was an accumulation of miles and miles over years and years. And it takes time. Welcome to No Finish Line, a podcast with John O'Regan, sponsored by Great Outdoors Dublin. Hello and welcome back to another episode of No Finish Line podcast featuring athlete interviews and discussion on running, training, traveling and adventure. And today I'm joined by Ricky Wynn, an ultra trail runner from Drumshambo, County Leitrim. Ricky, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, man. Thanks for having me. Your most recent race was the Kerryway Ultra. You took part in this race three times. You didn't finish it on the first two occasions. And most recently, you finished second. And the time that you finished in would have won the race any other year, excluding one year when the course record was set by Barry Hartnett. Now, when you come back from a race where you do badly in, it's very easy to look back at the race and think about what went wrong. And you can maybe come up with a story that suits suits what you want to be thinking to make yourself feel better. So it's easy to figure out what went wrong when things do go wrong. But when something goes right, we don't always look back and say, well, what went right this time? What do you think you did differently this time compared to the other two? This time around, um, nothing really changed as in the training stayed the same and stayed consistent but in my head I told myself look at from from the word go the first time I tried it, the second time I tried it, the third time I tried it I knew the way I wanted to run it and I knew I'd be able to run it the way I wanted to run it so I didn't want to change too much in that maybe the first two times my body wasn't ready for it and um, the third time it's, it was ready but also is that like because it was my third time I was thinking I'm not going back next year because there's something else happening next year. And I was thinking, I, I don't care if I have to crawl around it. I'm getting around it. But at the same time, I, I always knew that I'd get around it the way I wanted to get around it. When you say you would have crawled around it if needs be, that's meaning that you didn't want another DNF. But do you think you'd have been happy finishing at the back of the field? No. No way. No way. No way. Because... Uh, Again, it, it goes back to my training. My tr- my training is done in such a way that it gives me the confidence that I can do it the way I want to do it, you know. And I want to be competing. I want to be running against the fast lads, the lads at the top of the pack. And that's just me. That's just me even true to myself, true to my training. And and I always knew that I'd put myself in a good position to, to compete. And because of that, not wanting to finish at the back, do you think that might sometimes make you go off too fast? <laughs> yeah, probably, probably. Um, like in previous races, I I do go out. I have gone out too fast, and um, and I paid the price for it too. But sometimes, it, like someone always, someone said to me, it, it feels good until it doesn't feel good. You know, you can start a race and you don't feel like you've gone off too fast, but then all of a sudden. Think things start shutting down, you know, and uh, again, that's that all comes with learning too, and and then going back to your training and trying to trying to change things in your training. And that's where the discipline with the training comes in—that you should be racing as you've trained, not 
racing faster than you're trained and it can be an easy thing to do to get caught up with the race at the start when you're feeling good after a taper and you've all that pent-up energy inside you this time around we were missing some of the usual runners uh, gavin Bourne, brian buckley uh, there's one or two names i'm just not thinking of do you think that made a difference psychologically with being able to pace it um it didn't it didn't because okay i'd be looking uh, the way i went into that race was i had a couple of goals in my mind i was saying number one i want to try and win it and number two i have to get round it but i had another goal and that goal was that oh, gavin burnell like this one i didn't want someone coming up to me after that race if i did win it saying yeah well if gavin was there he'd have beat you because the time would have bet you. So in the back of my mind, I always had like, I'd really like to beat Gavin's time. Not to say that I'm better than Gavin or anything like that, but that was just a goal I had in my mind that I want to try and be quicker than what Gavin was in last year's race. So that, so that like, uh, I kind of felt like, you know, I ran the race I wanted to run, you know? Yeah, and that's a very good point because it's easy to win a race when there's no competition. And there's lots of races out there and you won't always have notable competition. But this year, as I mentioned with the Kerry Way, the top three finishes would have won the race any year, except the year that the original course record was set, and the winner set a new course record. So this was the fastest ever year of the race. Yeah, and and going into that, like I don't know, you will have people that don't know who John McHugh is, but I knew who John McHugh was, because... I follow him on Strava and I saw the work that he was putting in. So I knew that this man was going to be doing a serious job on Kerry Way. I knew he was going for the course record and I knew he was very strong. He was training like a lunatic. He was training 190 kilometers a week for five or six weeks in a row. And um, and then again, you have Keith Lane, who is a, another solid runner. And I got uh, the chance to run with Keith down in, in Kerry in July to do a recce. And like that recce opened my eyes up to how tough this man was. So I knew that Kerry Way was going to be a, a very strong field, even though there was some other big r- runners not in it. And then you had other runners like Simon Connachton and uh, and you had Kevin Leahy. You had boys like this, you know, and they're very, very solid runners as well. And as you mentioned, Keith Lane, I did one training run with Keith Lane. And if Paddy Perrow was taking bets, I'd have put my money on him. And I would have expected you to go off as usual as because I followed you every other year and I would have expected you to drop around the same kind of place. So I think you ran a really, really good race this year. Now with nutrition, I noticed you follow a vegan diet. So how difficult or how easy is it to follow that kind of a diet? Um, for me, I think it's very easy. Um I kind of look at food as fuel. That's pretty much it. I uh, I don't get too excited about food. I don't really think about food as in, yeah, I want to go and enjoy what I'm eating. I don't really care. I really care if this food works for me. And I found that I tried diets over the years. I tried low fat, high carb, high protein, all that sort of stuff. And then the, the vegan thing really worked for me. It, it just sort of fixed my gut problems. I never really felt nauseous on long runs. And it's very easy to do. Like, I, I kind of have a rule. It's a 20-minute rule at home. If it takes longer than 20 minutes, I don't want to know about it. I don't want to make it. I haven't got that time to be spending in the kitchen. 
So, so it's very simple for me to follow it. And what influenced you to try it in the first place? Um, just looking at other runners I follow, I follow a lot of ultra trail runners that are vegan now, and it seems to be, um, it seems to be common enough now in the ultra trail world. And um, I think that if it works for them, I'm going to give it a go and see if it works for me. And and that's pretty much it, you know. And for a race, how do you actually fuel yourself on a vegan diet? Yeah, so for Kerry, I went out. And from very early on, it was gels. So I was using gels until uh, about 60, 70K. And then after that, I realized that the gels just weren't going to do it for the whole day. So I decided I was going to have food ready for me just in case that happened. And so what I was having was I was having uh, a vegan wrap, which consisted of 200 calories and a banana. So I would have the vegan wrap at the aid station and it was... Uh, there was very little in it. It was falafel and something like that in it and uh, a little bit of avocado in it and there was 200 calories in that wrap and then I would have a banana and I would bring the banana with me and then halfway between aid stations I would eat that banana and that system worked really well for me but again, I don't know would that work the next race. It's That's the thing with ultra running. You know, there's no hard and fast rule. I think you have to be you have to have a plan going in, but sometimes if that plan doesn't work, you got to have another plan and, and hope that that works. Because if I stuck with the gels, I think that my stomach would have turned on me and then my race would have turned bad very, very quick. When you mentioned gels, I want to go back to Kerry Way last year. Did you have any stomach issues? Uh, no, actually, last year I was having a good day. I was having a very good day. Stomach was very good. Again, I had... I'd, um, been vegan while I was doing that as well so so I had um again I was doing the bananas and the gels and the wraps in that race as well worked really well I'd no stomach issues in that but what I did have was I had a a meniscus tear in in my knee and I knew coming into it there was a chance that it mightn't go too well but at the same time it was a chance I was willing to take on it you know I know some people think that's a bit stupid over 200k but I thought it'd be okay you know so you went into the race carrying the remnants of an injury knowing that oh, that must have been on your mind all throughout the race yeah it was and and you have those sort of I don't know some people call them a phantom injury where like every maybe 10 or 15k I get this feeling that oh yeah my knee is really sore but I didn't know if it was really sore but what I found was through the day it was getting hotter and hotter and I felt like I had to ice my leg or throw cold water on or something like that on my knee all day and then eventually I think I got to about 130k and it kind of nearly locked up on me it didn't want to go anymore and that was it that was my race was over from that minute you know so you were setting yourself up for a DNF really maybe so but at the same time I still thought that I'd be pretty positive and I thought that you know it might be okay you know I I was looking at it like that and I was trying not to overthink it and I had done a lot of cycling in my training and eased off on the run and to give my leg every chance it got but 200k is a long way that's the problem very long way and when I mention the DNF DNF stands for did not finish so can you tell me what it's like to DNF yeah, so up until Kerry, I, I never had a DNF. So I'd, I'd ran in 
big big ultras like I ran in a race in France did well in that so confidence was high I went over and I did a race in Italy the Lavaredo Ultra Trail did really well in that race so confidence was very high and that was 10 weeks out from Kerry and of course I thought I'm one of the best runners in the world right now in my head like I was using that as confidence going into Kerry and I thought that you know sure how hard can it be it can't be that hard and um, then when I did DNF yeah it wasn't a it wasn't a nice feeling but at the same time I have no problem failing at something because I know then that I just need to change something need to need to train a little bit different and uh and that excites me as much as it does winning a race you know and how do you bounce back from a dnf you just um i suppose uh, some people would look at it differently you might you might be real negative about something but i like to be super positive about something i like to take what i think went wrong and then put that into my training and work a little bit harder and and see will that happen and it Sometimes again, it sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But I got into this sport because I love running and I love training, and then racing is the bonus. But I love running and training, so I have no problem going back to the drawing board and tinkering and trying something new because that's that's part of why I love running. You ran your first ultra marathon in 2017. It was Portumna 50k, and you ran an average time of three hours 54 minutes and 58 seconds just under four hours what were you doing previous to running had you any other sport or did you just get straight into running uh i played gaelic football from from when i was four or five years of age until i was 32 with my local football club and i ran a couple of 5k's and 10k's here and there and that was about it because that was it you know if you didn't play football you didn't really play any other sport do you still play football? No, not anymore, no. How were you able to just stop something that you were doing for so long? Yeah, I was 32 and I thought that um, I'd given all I could in a team sport. I loved being part of a team, but at the same time, I thought I had given all I could. I was one of the older lads on the team. There was young lads coming up and I just decided I needed a new focus. I didn't want to... I didn't want to waste not waste but i didn't want to just have another year where where i was just like hanging on to be part of that team and i wanted to try could it could i do something else you know and what made you pick the 50k had you done a marathon previous to that <laughs> no no um like what happened was uh after football i got into obstacle course races and i started doing a few of them and i said you know, I'm finishing like fifth or sixth. If I put in a little bit of work here, I could finish on the podium in some of these. And then that got off, went really well. I won a few of them. And then me and my two brothers entered into the toughest mother over in Nottingham, 12-hour obstacle course race. And we, me and my younger brother, we finished 10th and 11th out of like thousands of people. And when we had that done, when I looked back at it, I says. What I enjoyed most about that wasn't the obstacle, it was the fact that we were moving for 12 hours. And I thought that was it was so cool. So I decided then I want to do an ultramart. And then you went from the Portum the 50k to the Tollymore Trail Ultra, which is probably your first introduction to a proper trail race. That was 61 kilometers and you finished sixth in that race. How did you find out about that race or, or what actually made you decide on that? 
Um, yeah, I, I was only thinking about this race today because I nearly signed up to it again this year. And I entered that race and I was thinking I was very fit. I, I, and this is what really opened my eyes up into into training because I finished second in Portomna and then I decided, okay, if I do a little bit more training, I can maybe do well in, in Tollymore because Tollymore, there wasn't a lot of other races happening in November in that time of year. It was 64K, I thought it was something I could do really well in. I entered it and I was well beaten by like the top three uh, runners in that race. And what that t- showed me was that uh, that running is funny. I, I was there about 32, 33 years of age, and I was thinking, the guys that are, have won that, I think the guy that won that was about 40 years of age, and I was trying to understand, how in the name of God is this man able to beat me? He's 40 years of age. How can he beat me? But I understood then that that was ultra-run. It was an accumulation of miles and miles over years and years, and it takes time. And then you went on holidays, which are next race, you went to France. Yeah, yeah, the maxi race in France, yeah. And I had trained really hard for that race because I decided that that was a race I really wanted to do well in. I was hoping for like a top 50 finish in that. I think there was 15 or 1,600 runners in that. And I think I ended up finishing 18th male in that race. And uh, that, again, it was mind-blowing. It was proper European ultra-trail mountains you know, and uh, and and I I loved it. And actually, I spent uh, I think I spent about six months training and working in Dublin at the time. And every day, I didn't go to the mountains. I ran on the Grand Canal. That's where I trained. And I ran. <laughs> I did it all wrong as well because, look, when when you don't know, you don't know, and you don't know who to ask, you don't know who to ask. And every single day, I ran twenty k at four oh four per kilometer because I thought that's how you're supposed to run. And that's how you're supposed to get fast. And okay, I got lucky and it worked really well in that race. But after a while, I realized that my body was breaking down because I was training too hard. Well, that's a fantastic result. And I suppose you must have known then that maybe you do have a bit of a talent for ultra running and, and trail running in particular. I, I don't know about talent for that, but I had a hunger for it. I had um, I had a love for it. I felt like that uh, it, just, it just was... The, the little thing that I, I was after I was chasing something and I found it to be trail running I found it to be running in the hills and the mountains and just pushing pushing my body to see what I can do and that's probably better if you had the hunger and the love for the sport rather than just some kind of a talent because I think it's the hunger and the enjoyment that actually makes you want to train more do more travel more and with that you you get better then you went back to Portumna again that was the following month you ran 50k and you covered the distance in three hours 23 minutes and 17 seconds which is well above average like that's a very very respectable time for 50k that's kind of national standard and you won that race so you went from being about somebody taking part in the event to somebody actually there competing how did that feel yeah that 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 um that was for 2018 that was the icing on the cake for me that was i had a great year that year and again i put it back to the previous year i i finished second average time and then from there to winning it the following year the amount of miles that i put in the bank over that year 
that's that's what made the difference for me you know a little bit of of, uh, of maybe learning but i think just the quality of training and and the accumulation of miles i did in that year and i backed myself i i, I went in wanting to win that race i actually went in wanting to win that, win that race and break the course record on that that's what i trained for and and i i i couldn't have asked for any more that day do you think that winning a race like this so soon into your ultra running career would would have had an effect on you as a person and maybe on on your personality do you think you could have got maybe more competitive more driven do you think something like this can affect the ego what do you think it does to a person and is it hard to control um for me i don't know what it is right uh, i always had confidence i always had it in shade loads and i always used to say there's a huge difference between arrogance and confidence like and i like to think that I'm just a very confident person and I don't know where I got that from because growing up I was always, always the smallest guy on the football team, always the smallest guy doing whatever, same even on the building side, I was the smallest guy on the building side and I always felt like that somebody thought that this lad's too small to be on the football field, he's too light to be on the building side and I use that in such a positive way that I'll show you. It, it doesn't matter. If you're six foot tall, I'm going to run rings around you on the football field. And on the building side, I'm going to lift stuff that's way heavier than you can lift. You know, And that, that was always the way that I approached stuff. So if, if someone was to ask, what's your, 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 your biggest asset? And my biggest asset is the fact that I am a small guy. like, And, and it, it's worked for me really well. It's almost like it's my little superpower, you know? Yeah, it's not confidence when you can back it up and you're backing it up. And I follow you on Instagram and Strava and one of your models is keep showing up and you do keep showing up. I would think that maybe you show up too much. And I think for somebody who's highly motivated, which I know you are, it can be hard to not do too much. The easiest thing for someone like you to do is train and train hard. The hardest thing to do is to not try and to take it easy, to rest, recover from injuries. And let's go back and just talk a little bit about injuries. You're giving me a chance to kind of take a sidestep. We mentioned you had two DNFs in Kerry this year. You finished second with a time that would have won it any other year except the year the course, the original course record was set. You also had an injury earlier in the year, which was work-related. It wasn't a running-related injury. It was work-related. Tell us a bit about that injury. Yeah, that was... Um, again, it wasn't a major injury, but it was an injury. And um, I was just on a roof holding a piece of timber and a nail going in one hand, and there was a bit of frost on the roof. And I slipped, and I whacked my shin off, the, off one of the rafters. So, and I cracked the rib as well. But the rib was fine. I don't need to run with my rib. That was fine. But my shin, what had happened was I had a bruise inside my shin bone so it took weeks and weeks for that to grow out it took almost about eight weeks i think for that to grow out so again that was eight weeks of no running i'd done a bit of cycling realized the cycling was even hurting it so i had to i had to just you know relax and i had to get it right and and that's one of the hardest things that i have a problem with is resting i'm not a massive fan of taking time off but you have to listen to the body sometimes you know you mentioned Eight weeks of recuperation without an injury. Now let's go back before the injury happened. How many days off would you have had previous to that, say, in, in the calendar year? 
maybe maybe one every week or one every two weeks you know depending like i wouldn't have had that many do you think that the forced rest that you were forced to have because of the injury might have actually helped your body to repair and adapt to a lot of the stress that you had put it under and that might have created a stronger ricky win like we know you have the mental strength you have the aerobic capacity but maybe you hadn't ever given your body the opportunity to rest to be as race ready as you know you could be yeah yeah i i would say this i would say that and also it 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 sort of let me take a step back and look at the way i was training like before i was training hard all the time it was like i was trying to it was like i was trying to make myself run so hard every day and and assume that i would just get stronger automatically whereas in you know now looking back i i kind of know that was a huge failing on my part but like i say when you don't know you don't know and i actually i used to have a saying um i used to have a saying that i used to use and i used to use it in my athletic club and i was coaching uh, an athletic club well i would just wait for that and uh and i used to say People said, do you ever run slow? And I used to say, when I feel like running slow, no, I used to say, when I feel like running fast, I run fast. And when I feel like running slow, I run fast. <laughs> We're recording outdoors because of the COVID restrictions and there's a steamroller just making its way towards us. So we might have to move. And move not because of the noise, but because of the steamroller is actually coming towards us. I'm going to go back to your GAN football training Leitrim I don't think I've been to Crow Park too many times and you're a guy that's so highly motivated do you think it made it easier moving to a sport where you were being successful um I don't know. I, I, when I when I first started, I didn't think of it like that because I didn't know how good or how bad I'd be at this sport. And then when you're playing football in your own county, you're very consumed by your own county. So even though Leitrim doesn't get... Um, the standard of Leitrim football doesn't get as highly regarded as, we say, the standard of football in Dublin or in Cork or in Kerry. But when you're... When you're in it and in the mix in your own county, it's very competitive. So you want to do your best for the team anyway, you know? You're a team player. Most of the races that you do now are you as an, as an individual. You also mentioned that you had been introduced to running and this type of race through Tough Mudder where you were running as a, as a team. Have you done any other ultra-distance races where you were a part of a team? I did one. Um... It was a few years ago in in south of the south of England, and it was I can't even remember the name. It was a hundred k, and it was an army event, and there was um, four guys in it. And so you had Alpha, Bravo, Ch- Charlie, and Delta, and uh, I think I was Delta in that race. I was sort of like picked last for that team, but I would have probably been the fittest lad on that team. And then there was three other friends of mine that did it, but. Um, I didn't particularly enjoy that as much because when you're the guy that trains harder than the other three lads doing that race and then they're not doing what you want them to do because they're not fit enough to do it, it's very frustrating. Whereas when I was playing football, 
everyone was on the same page. Everyone knew that if they didn't put in the work, you wouldn't win the game. So, so it was a little bit different that way. I was going to ask, did you find the football frustrating because of that when you couldn't be in control of the other players and you were dependent on them? Whereby now, when you're running as an individual, you're responsible for you. Yeah, like um, the accountability is is what I love about running. It's that if I don't put in the training, I won't get the results I want, and I love that about about it. But that's that's what I really like about um, about running and about doing it for yourself. But at the same time, you're never really doing it for yourself as well, because like I have my wife and I have my mum and my dad, and they're all very supportive. So you feel like you're doing it for them as well, even though you're doing it for yourself you don't run as a team but when you're doing an event like the Kerryway Ultra you have a support crew so in a way you are part of a team what attributes do you look for in your crew or in a team say if you didn't have your usual support crew with you which is your wife and family how would you select the support crew oh, that's a good question um, I don't really know because I would say uh, my crew for Kerry the last few years has been my wife and her mum and dad, you know, and like they held their hands up and they said, we'd love to come down and help you do that race. And and I was delighted. And if I had to pick crew members, I suppose I would pick my two brothers because number one, the two of them are into trail running and they, they, they compete in races as well. So they know the score. They know what to do and they know how to motivate me to keep going but at the same time I'm not one of those people that needs somebody coming up to me to tell me that I have to get to the next aid station or I have to get here I, have to, I know what I want to do I, I I don't need somebody telling me that you only have 5k to go or you only have 10k I know what I'm doing so so I, I don't need that the only thing I need is them to be very efficient and get me in and out of that aid station as quick as possible and do you think having your mother as part of the support crew could make it easier to DNF with her feeling sorry for you? Poor, poor my little Ricky and said, no, you're not. Come back. Yeah, well, I have to say... Sit down, <laughs> have a rest. <laughs> yeah, the, 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 I think the first time I DNF'd in Kerry, Trina, my wife, was there. And that was the first time she was at one of my races. And she saw how beat up and broken I was. And I think she had a little pity party for me there and then. And she was happy that I DNF'd. Whereas in, when we went back to th- this year, there was no way she was letting me quit that. Because she had, she had seen in her own eyes that, of course he's hurting. But it's, this is Ricky. This is normal, you know. And she knew you were going to be unbearable for the next month. <laughs> next month. Next six months. So, and then your dad is there looking at you and you're thinking... You know, he's. I'm, I'm disappointing him if I don't go on. You know, this is like letting a goal in or, or kicking a ball wide in the final moments of a match. Yeah, exactly, exactly. You know, and it's those little things that that keep you accountable as well. You know, that that you don't want to let those people down, even though they won't be let down. Like, like mark my words, those people are only too too delighted to support you in what you do. And if 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 it doesn't work out, they're not going to be disappointed. But but you might think they will, and that'll drive you on, and that's all you need. You just need something to drive you on. Now, I'm going to stick with the carry way again. I'd, I'd like to know what you carry in your bag. If you were out in the middle of nowhere during the race and something happened, you sprained an ankle or 
something or you went off course and then something happened what do you have in your bag that would help you survive i literally have what i'm told to bring so you have a mandatory gear list and for kerry it's a pretty extensive one you have uh, your first aid kit and you have make sure you have waterproof trousers waterproof jacket waterproof gloves hat all of that gear so all of that is in the bag um I suppose you mightn't like this about me because I know you're very um, safe in the mountains, let's say, but I mightn't just be as safe. Maybe that's a good thing or a bad thing, but if if at all possible, I want to carry the least amount of gear because I don't want to be carrying any weight. I don't want to be carrying extra weight. Like, if I could take off all my clothes, I'd probably run naked just to be a little bit quicker. <laughs> okay. Or or that broken rib, you'd probably see if you could get rid of it if you don't need it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Light and fast. That's what it's all about. Yeah, well I suppose there's also something else that you that you carry with you that doesn't weigh much and that's your attitude, your experience, the confidence knowing you've done the training and then knowledge which weighs nothing and it can be packed quite easily. And that all comes with experience and training so i think although you're saying you might not be as as safe as me i think you have what you need to get you in there and get you back out again yeah yeah exactly and like i train on my own 90 percent of the time a couple of times i will have a friend of mine or a brother of mine that will come with me but most of the time i'm spending hours and hours and hours on my own so i have enough common sense to know what I can and can't do, when I can push and when I can't push, and just make sure that you carry enough food and stuff like that, that that's going to get you through, and you have a mobile phone with you at all times, and somebody else knows where you are at all times. What race is next on your list? Um, Because I'm greedy, a little bit greedy, I'm going to do a 50k on the 20th of November, it's the Dublin Mountain Running Festival 50k, and that's just there to see how i do i'd like uh i'd like to try and get a win i've had three races this year three second places you know uh always the bridesmaid as they say i would i would really like to get a win and finish out this year on a high not that it's it's not that it's on a low by any means and it's good to have races to help as well keep you interested act as stepping stones or bridges to other events and the best indicator of performance is a performance yeah, exactly, and it's just fun as well, you know, races are back now, so it's it's like you're kind of trying to make up for lost time, we didn't get to race too much last year because of COVID, so it's great to have them back. Now let's look a little bit at the psychology of training and racing. Do you work on building your strengths or do you try and focus on your weaknesses? Um, I would say I I focus on both because number one i like to think that i have speed in my legs and i'm 38 years of age so that's not that young but at the same time for ultra running it's not old and i think that most of these ultras if you can run them fast you can do really well in them so i kind of make sure that i keep working on speed work so even though i'm running a hundred k or a 200k race i never ever dismiss the 400s or the 800s on a, on a track or on the road because i know that you need to be able to have speed in your legs if you want to compete in these races do you follow a training plan or do you just make it up as you go along i follow my training plan which might not look like a training plan to someone else but i know what i'm doing because 
I think that if I had a really, really strict training plan that I got from a coach, my coach wouldn't understand what I do for a living or what I'm doing on a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, do you know? Because it's always different in my job. I could be lifting something all day that's heavier than me a couple of hundred times a day and then I'm fatigued. And if I'm supposed to do a session on the Tuesday or the Wednesday, I'm not going to be able to do that because I'm fatigued. But I always have... I'm kind of a more of a volume guy. I think that volume works really well for me. So the more I run, the better I get. Even if I miss a session, like a speed session here or there, it's okay because I'm still getting the volume in. I'm getting time on feet. And that seems to re- work really well for me. Yeah, You'd have what would be known as a dynamic plan. It's fitting around your life and it's adapting. So you don't have a set Monday to Friday where you do specific sessions on specific days you do them when they can fit in, but you're not just not doing anything. And I'd be following what you're doing. And it's it's like, I suppose, trying to decipher hieroglyphics. I can't actually figure out what you're doing because there's, there's no set pattern. But you do seem to fit in all the attributes of, of what a training plan is. The main attribute for me is how much crack am I having? Because I have to be having the crack as in it has to be fun i'm not gonna go off and do hill repeats down in sligo union wood if i actually don't think that i'm gonna have a laugh with myself while i'm doing it or that i'm gonna come back and really have enjoyed that i don't ever want to go out for a run and know that it's going to be horrible because i have to do this i have no problem putting in the work but it has to be fun you know number one it has to be fun yeah, and what you said about the volume, I think volume is really, really important because if you don't do the volume, like the more you do, the more you can do. And I see people posting up what I would call silly looking sessions on Instagram. And it's really, really is just to be posting something up, but they're not doing the overall volume to allow their body to be able to absorb that training. One really, really tough looking training session doesn't make a plan it's the other stuff it's it's the suppose the boring stuff in a way but you're saying you enjoy it so it's not boring i'd be calling it boring when you compared it with a specific session but that's the important part of it it's not just videoing yourself doing a killer workout where you're wrecked and talking about doing it when you don't want to do it and you have to be enjoying it yeah yeah and like if you go out three or four times a week and you bust your gut and you, you, you're hitting the pain cave every 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 single session you know number one you're going to break down you're probably going to get injured and you're not going to enjoy all that that, that, that training you know so I kind of like I follow the 80-20 rule I kind of do 80% of my training at very very slow kind of just sort of going through the motions running and getting the high volume in and then I'll do one or two hard sessions a week whether that be like a fartlek session Again, it's kind of like, okay, I'm I'm not going to like go out and say I'm going to do exactly 30 seconds on or 30 seconds off. But I'll do something in around it or I'll let to hack a hill or I'll do something like that. But that's because, as well as that, while I'm in the run, I'm doing that while I'm in the run. You know, I haven't, I haven't decided I'm going to do that today or yesterday. I'm just going to make up my mind as I'm running it, you know. So that way I keep my run interesting, I keep it fun and I know I'm working. What would be your favourite training session if you were to pick one my favorite training session is 12 by 1k on and off i love that session i usually do that on a saturday and i keep it flat i keep it on 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 a flat section of road 
I do a 5k warm up and then it's 12 by a kilometer on a kilometer off the kilometer on is about whatever my 5k race pace is at that time and then my kilometer off is around 430 to 440 so that I'm not taking it easy I'm still working and I really enjoy that I get 22k work in in that session and and I, I feel I always feel like I could smile straight after that workout and as I'm visualizing that session it sounds to me like one that will be very good for a trail runner because that fast pace recovery as such in between which is really a float is still at what would be a high heart rate it's still a high intensity and that would be the equivalent of working hard to go up a hill and then when you get to the top of the hill if it's in a race you can't afford the luxury of stopping but your intensity has reduced to allow you some bit of recovery so you're training for that on the flat do you live near the mountains or no no i live in leitrim so like we have like you could call them mountains like we have sleeve and iron and we have um quilk is not too far from me but they're they're big hills they're not mountains you know so um they're not like Kerry. they're not like wicklow and uh, I have no problem with that either. People say you need to live in the mountains. I don't think so. You know, I think that if you follow, if you run high volume and then you've got some speed in your legs and you, you train a lot, you know, you can compete in any of these races. So what you're doing is what's known as controlling the controllables. You're, you're using your own environment and you're making the most of what you have. Where you have somebody else who might say, oh, well, why bother? Sure, I haven't got this. I haven't, you know, if somebody's not living near, near a lake, they... You know, mightn't be interested in going fishing or canoeing, but it, you know, you use what you have around you. Yeah, and as well as that, like if if you're racing in Ireland, if you live in Ireland and you sign up for a race in Ireland, there's no reason you can't get into your car and drive to where that race is happening. You know, you don't have to go there every weekend. But I I I told I I could always advise somebody go and recce the course. It's like the DMRC. Uh, 50k that I'm doing a couple of weeks I'm going to go down there next weekend and I'm going to take my brother's camper van I'm going to run on the Saturday sleep in the camper van run it on the Sunday and it's going to be fresh in my mind for when I go back to do the race and then I can go back home in between those weeks of training and I can do specific work that will kind of suit that race Checking out the course yeah, is a good idea what made you actually Supposed to start thinking that way. Do you think it's to do with your job, the way you might have been doing site inspections and? Uh, I, I no, I wouldn't think it's to do with that. I just think that it's a nice place to be if you are ten k out from a race and you know where you are. I think it, you you can't buy that. As in, I remember doing the Wicklow race in in the Wicklow Raw. It was an eighty k race. And I got to the last 10k. Now, I had only wrecked the last 10k of that race. Because I was working in Dublin at the time. And I was wrecking it there. And only the last 10k. And when I got to that section, I had two full water bottles. But I knew where I was. And, like, I was in about fifth or sixth position. And I could look down the hill and I could see one or two runners ahead of me. And I just emptied my two water bottles to save weight. And to save a bit of bouncing around. Because I knew I had 10k. And then I knew that I would not need this water to get me to the finish. Okay, that's interesting. Now, I, I find that sometimes it can help visualizing the or inspecting the course. But then other times, not knowing what's ahead of you can make it that bit easier mentally. Because if you're feeling the, feeling the pain, 
and you know well there's a killer of a hill in five kilometers time that in itself could be soul destroying it can it, it can but i like to know what's what's coming i really just do like to know what's coming on another side of that i'd say i would say when you said pain and and I get it. There's supposed to be a little bit of pain in, in running. And everyone has this idea that running ultramarathons, because they follow certain athletes from America, and they totally believe that you need to go to this pain cave. You know, and people often ask me, do you go to the pain cave? I actually don't know where the pain cave is because I train in such a way that I limit the pain cave to the last 5K of a race. I don't want to be in the pain cave 10K into a race that that's going to last eight or nine hours. I don't want to be in it for eight or nine hours. So if you train properly, you avoid the pain cave, I think. So you're rationing out your energy expenditure in the right way. And just what you've mentioned there about training, it, it, it is all about training, right? Don't, you have to do the training. And as you say, your famous line, keep showing up. You have to keep showing up. Yeah, some people come up to me and they say, "Oh, you did you did unbelievably well in Kerry. You did unreal there in that race and in real And yeah, it's great and it it is great, but sometimes it's a little bit embarrassing because I am not a great runner. I'd be I hand on heart. I know I'm not a great runner because I'm five foot two. I'm not built like a runner. I'm actually pretty muscly as well, so I I carry a little bit more like uh, weight in my quads and my arms compared to your elite athlete." What I am is a very, very average runner with a very, very above average training rate. As in, I'm willing to work really hard because I know that if I work really hard, I can compete against anybody. Do you think your strength is in the uphill or the downhill when it comes to trail running? Racing? I don't think anyone can fall downhill as quick as me. That's the way I look at it. Like I'm never afraid to go downhill fast. Now, I asked that question for a specific reason because I'm thinking of you as a footballer and as you mentioned your height you must have very fast feet because of movement with a ball and being able to I suppose turn in short spaces so I would think that that would help with your downhill you'd have a, a very high cadence now the higher cadence also means that you're working harder so it can be a disadvantage when you're on the flat because you have to take more steps than a taller runner and each time you're taking a step, it's like your your legs are like the arms of a bellows that are pumping your lungs. So a long race of, of 200 kilometers must be extremely challenging for you, aerobic. Probably is. But when it's you, you don't think of it like that. You know, you look at me and you see that I'm smaller than you. So you'd be saying, well, he's got to take more steps. Than... But I don't ever look at it like that. It's like you just... That's you. That's your body. You're, you're, you know, you've been doing that for so long that that's just normal to to me. So, so it doesn't, it that doesn't cross my mind that I have to take more steps than you. I don't think of it like that. It's just like, okay, I'm small, so I need to work a little bit harder on the football field to win the ball. But at the same time, I was always very good at picking up the breaking ball because I was small, and little things like that work. So, would say for the average guy that's running up a hill with a backpack on them. I'm running up a hill with the same backpack on me as well. They weigh the same, but I weigh a lot less than you. So I'll probably get up that hill quicker than you. I think I'll also get down that hill quicker than you because I have shorter legs and my feet are quicker than yours, you know. So so I, I think it's win-win for me, you know. 
And with running downhill, you mentioned that you're you're quite fast going downhill. Trail running is is a skill, and all skills have to be practiced. Would you not live in close to mountains? That must be a tough one to actually get right. It is, but for me, what I do really uh, a lot of. If if you were to follow me on Strava, you'll see that I go up Crow Patrick a lot. My wife is from Westford, so we do be down in Mayo a good bit, and every time we go to Mayo, I go to Crow Patrick, and I do a lot of hill repeats on Crow Patrick. So like I've been known to go up Crow Patrick on a Saturday three times, and then go up again three more times on a Sunday, and I'll go up and down at three times in three hours on a Saturday and a Sunday. And would you think that your that your job in the building industry, walking up on roofs, would have improved your balance and your proprioception? Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. Like, um, that's it. Every day I'm on a roof, I'm climbing around scaffolding like a little monkey. So it definitely helps that uh, I do that for a living. Like, I do curse and, and have a little pity party about how much my job um, affects my recovery and it makes me tired and fatigued and I don't want to... I don't always feel like, oh, I have to get out for a run or I want to get out for a run, but I'm so tired from work, you know. But at the same time, I know that my job has got me very, very strong over a long period of time. So I can't always knock it. And as well as being strong, I suppose it must also make you hardy and more able to endure the weather. You're out in all conditions. Yeah, yeah, exactly. When um, you kind of... But I have to say, I'm a, I'm a guy that really likes the sun. I love uh, running in hot races. Like uh, when people were saying about Kerry that it was going to be hot, I was hoping it'd be hotter because I, I do really well in the heat, maybe because I'm outside all the time, you know. We'll have to finish up soon. We've been, we've been talking for quite a while. Any advice you would offer to someone who is maybe starting out in trail running or is doing road running? And how would you convince them to actually try trail racing? Because I think that trail running it's something that if you do try you will like it definitely like a lot of a lot of um people are turning to trails now at the at the minute i think it's something that's on trend it's um like i see it in my instagram followers i i see people asking me about the trail running all the time and there is a huge interest in it and the, the thing is with trail running it's it's so much fun it is so much fun like you're running uphill, you're running downhill. The downhill is so much fun, you know, and it, and again, you're going to enjoy getting better at going uphill and getting, going downhill. And then just enjoy it, you know. That's that's the only advice I can give to anybody is, is try and enjoy it as much as you can and try to do it as often as you can. And you just mentioned Instagram there. You're very active on Instagram and I find that you can be very informative if somebody's asking the question. You're, you're quite honest. So how can someone follow you on Instagram? So my handle is at RickyWin10 on Instagram. And, um, do you know, I'm, I, I love having, um, I love getting new followers and especially love getting followers that are interested in running and trail running and stuff like that. And if you have questions for me, I'm only too happy to answer those questions. Yeah, I, I'd recommend someone tagging along, which is well, because I have found that there is an honesty there. And as I said, you are backing up what you were saying and you do put the work in. So I'd say you're an, an honest runner. You're not just talking about it. You're actually out, out there doing it. And before we finish up, as we were walking around this park looking for a quiet location to start talking, you mentioned that you would at some stage like to try a 24-hour race on a track. For somebody to go from one 
event to another i would say that to go from a track being a track runner or a road runner to the trails is quite easy because the environment is ever changing no two steps are the same but for a trail runner going onto the track it's the same service over and over again you're repeating that loop how do you think you would manage running for 24 hours on a track see i have no problem like the thing about running is running is it's it's so different you can run a 5k or you can run a 200k and you can get something out of the 5k and you get something out of the 200k and i want to be able to say when it's all said and done that i'm a very good 5k runner that can run 200ks because you know i'm not a pro athlete right so i'm not under contract i don't have to do a certain race or i don't have to do this race i can do whatever i want to do and I want to do all of them. I want to be good at the 5K. I want to be good at 10K. I want to be good at the, the half marathon, the marathon. And then, of course, I want to do a 24-hour race because I want to see if I can do almost 200K in the carry way with 5,500 meters of climbing in 22 hours and 53 minutes, how many kilometers can I run on a track in 24 hours under a kind of controlled environment where I'm just doing loops and loops and I've no problem doing loops and loops because I don't overthink stuff I just kind of go with the flow and and I try and enjoy the run as much as I I can and I I I wouldn't overthink the 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 idea of doing loops and loops and loops I have no problem well I definitely think you should try one because as you mentioned the carryway again that's a race that would have tested you physically and I think a track race would test you mentally. So it would be interesting to see how far that mentality you have, that mindset, would actually bring those legs that are very capable of running, I would say, distances of 230 kilometers and plus in a 24-hour period on a track. So I think that could be maybe your next challenge. Yeah, yeah. Um like that's it you know and and that's the cool thing about this sport as well is is you know the great thing about let's say you do fail in a race you have to remember another thing that you can just sign up for another race because there's there's so many of them out there there's so many different kinds of races if if running martins doesn't suit you you can run the trails if trails don't suit you you can run the track there's there's no end to the to the possibilities you know as you mentioned the word fail there we've actually talked with this before and we both agreed that you fail forward and you fail on the next level, meaning that you are able to analyze what went wrong. You know what should have gone right and you correct that and you've proven that most recently with the Kerryway Ultra. Yeah, I I actually saw something that Killian Journey did one time where he went out and he tried to hit three of these big massive summits in one day and he gave himself seven hours to do it because that's how much daylight he had. And... He used to get so far and then realise that he wasn't going to beat the daylight and he'd have to turn around. And when he get home, someone would say to him, were you disappointed? And he says that I'm never afraid to fail, he says, because I get to go again, he says. I get to have another crack at it, you know, and I think that's a great way of looking at something. And that's a great way to finish the podcast. Ricky Wynn, thank you very much. And I look forward to following what you do next. Thanks, man. Thanks for having me, John. Delighted. If you enjoyed this or any of the other podcasts, you might consider leaving a review or passing on to a friend. Thanks.